Look at the studies. Look at the subjects. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have Chad Chili. Chad has an extensive background in the health, fitness, military, and strength conditioning field and is a man of many stories. Today, he takes us down the rabbit holes of how you prepare the immortal, elite-level athletes for the unpreparable, why he values general fitness so much, and why it's your fault that program didn't work. I really respect Chad's no BS approach to training and his approach to sifting through fallacies. And I hope you guys get as much out of this one as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the continued support. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, we're, you're, you're, you're in Duluth, and I'm a, we're headed up to Duluth. We're talking about that, a little bit of that going there. We're, I'm headed there in two days. But we yeah. kind of we kind of just were discussing for the last 20 minutes a little bit about your back. We should have just recorded that background and kind of how oh, you got yeah. to thinking, how you got to thinking the way that you think. And I fucking love your approach to just social yeah. media and, and, and your posts that you have. It's like it's just base, like non-bullshit, like posting here. You talked about how you're private because you don't want to deal with the bots. Like, it's just eliminating the bullshit and like, hey, this is what I think. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but this is what I think. And this is what I'm actively doing. And I, I, I love coaches and I super respect coaches like that. Like you just eliminated a lot of the flash. I'm interested in, in how did you get to that point? And, and one of the points that you talked about just a little bit ago before we started recording was that you were a fighter and you went through, you said like, I'm the only fighter ever that'll admit that I had a losing record. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's again, eliminating the bullshit, but how did you get to the point of eliminating the bullshit in your coaching, eliminating bullshit in, in your life? That is a very, very long story. Um, The short version uh, would be the fact that there was a lot of uh, bad coaching that I ran into. I played hockey for 17 years. I started at the age of three and I had really bad coaches and I had really good coaches. And by having that experience on the athlete side of things, uh, you start to pick up on, hey, this works or hey, this doesn't work. And what's funny is I wasn't a very good hockey player for a long time, but Right around the age of like 16, 17, I finally made juniors and my coach was fantastic. And it was a very different experience having a good coach. And I guess you can make it really simple. Um, let's say you were coaching a, a thrower. Did he throw further? Yes or no? 
Well, if he throws further, then it worked. Take that same kind of simplistic mindset. We're playing hockey, and it's like, all right, like, did this end up scoring more goals? And it's like, yes, then this is what we do. So I had this incredible coach. His name is Bob Hawthorne. Um, unless you're from Western Pennsylvania, you probably have no idea who this guy is. But every team he came into, they won. I mean, they won the state championships. They won national championships. It didn't matter. He was fantastic. He was a really good coach. And everything was just very simple and straightforward. No bullshit. So then I moved on from hockey. This is going to get real weird for you. I got into boxing. I got into MMA. Um, and like a lot of people don't know this. Pittsburgh is kind of the birthplace of MMA in the United States. So not the birthplace of MMA like worldwide, but the birthplace of MMA in the United States. They had this thing called the Kumite Classic, uh, which was basically any martial art at all. And they would come together and they would fight. It's kind of like a UFC type thing, um, like the old school UFC, you know, whenever people would come in with like different backgrounds. And I didn't know that. I was just some dumbass kid who was like, yeah, I used to wrestle in school and I have some boxing background. I can put these two together. And so, as I mentioned to you, I'm the only fighter who will admit that they had a losing record. Um, but yeah, I had a losing record, but it was okay because I had really good coaches. Um, and those coaches uh, did all they could to help me, but I just didn't have the natural gifts that uh, make a fighter a good fighter. Um, it's funny, too, because I've had other guys come up to me after a fight and tell me, wow, that was like one of the hardest fights I've ever had. Like you really like you really put on the pressure the whole time. And it's like, yes, but yet you still beat me. So obviously I'm doing something wrong here. Um, and then I got into weightlifting and I actually uh, went all the way out to California to train with Glenn Penlay, which was an amazing experience. So that, like when people ask me where I get my weightlifting from or like where I get my mindset about training and strength training, I got to give all the credit to Glenn. So like, really, that's that's where things made a big difference. It's not like I didn't have S&C coaches playing hockey. Uh, it's not like I didn't have S&C coaches before that. But training with Glenn really changed the way that I approach. Why do we do this? And it's like, well, you're moving slow. So I'm not going to continue just hammering you with more reps and more sets. Like, we're done today. And that's really something that I think a lot of people overlook. You know, people are so tied up in, oh, it's got to be five sets of five. And it's like, well, why five sets of five? What if every fourth rep he's slowing down? Like, why don't we just change the workout right now and we'll just start doing sets of three? And it's like, well, how many sets? And it's like, well, we'll do sets till he slows down. So like today, maybe that's two sets. And on another day, hey, maybe we'll do eight sets of three. And it just made sense. Um, and then, of course, I, I did my own thing after that. Uh, so I am a medical school dropout. Um, so I went to medical school and I decided this is not for me. And I didn't like the way that things were being taught. Um, I didn't understand or appreciate um, the way that medicine is taught. I thought that medicine was to be taught in some, I don't know, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't what I thought it would be. So it was kind of more like, here's differential diagnosis. So like condition X, prescription Y, you know, and it was just this formula almost in a lot of ways of like, you go through differential diagnosis. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. So differential diagnosis is pretty simple. You have a list of symptoms. And as you can imagine, multiple different conditions have similar symptoms. So then you go through and you basically just mark them off until you find the one where, oh, they have all these symptoms. That's the one they have then. So like if someone comes in and says, I have headaches, it could be a thousand different things. But now it's like I have headaches and I have insomnia. Okay, well, now that narrows it down to a hundred things. Okay, now I have headaches, I have insomnia, and I don't know, uh, blurred vision. Okay, now we're down to like, you know, 70 different things. And like you just keep going down the list of 
different symptoms till you narrow it down to one. Um, and then at that point, I tell you, okay, here, you're going to take this drug. That's the way that medicine is basically taught, or at least it was um, for me. And so I dropped out and I decided, hey, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Um, That's a shift. Yeah, it's a big shift. It's a big shift. Um, I had a lot of other reasons for it. Um, you know, I had a lot of friends that were already in and I thought, yeah, I'm going to go become an officer. So I went to this thing called OCS. Uh, it's Officer Candidate School. And I actually am one of the weirdos um, that falls into a small category who did not get through. So one of the things that people don't know about the Marine Corps, this is a good reason to join the Marine Corps even, if you go to OCS and you hate it, you don't have to accept your commission. So if you go through OCS and you're like, you know what, I fucking hate this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. You don't have to accept your commission and you're free and clear. You can leave the Marine Corps. The downside to this is also if you go to OCS and you go through all this training and they decide they don't like you and they don't want you as an officer, they can also tell you, see you later. So like you're done. You don't have, you know, a four-year contract. You don't have a guaranteed education. You don't have, you know, the GI Bill. You don't get all these other things. You go to OCS, and after that, at the end of it, someone didn't like you and said, no, I don't want this guy to be an officer. Okay, well, that's the end of that. So I ended up being one of those people. I don't know why they don't select me. Uh, it's not like they came to you and, and said, hey, this is what you did wrong. You know, try again. No, there's none of that. Um, but later on, I talked to a few officers who were a little higher up and it was explained to me why I wasn't picked. Um, and it was because they didn't think I physically had it, which is kind of a kick. Like that's, that sucks. You know, they told me that I wasn't physically, um, good enough to be an officer. So this is where it's going to get really weird for you. Um, so because I was told I wasn't physically fit enough to be an officer in the Marine Corps, I said, well, in that case, I'm going to join the Navy and I'm going to become a Navy SEAL. So go ahead and laugh. Um, cause that, sounds like the dumbest thing you could possibly ever think you're not physically fit enough to be a u.s marine corps officer well in that case i'll pick something even harder um and i did and so i trained my ass off for it and i had a really good uh they have a program seal mentors and seal motivators and i got involved with guys that were you know they were the instructors at buds like i contacted guys who were instructors at buds and I contacted guys who were instructors at SQT and like I just reached out to absolutely everyone I could and I did the most insane training program you could ever imagine. I have the whole thing still written down in my logbooks. Um, I was running and swimming all the time. It's all I did. I actually I quit my job. So I saved up money. I worked for a while and saved up as much money as I could just so I could quit my job and train full time for six months leading up to my screening test. Um, I don't know that most people would ever do that, but to me, it was like, this is it. Like I need to do this thing. So that's what I did and for six months. I got up at like four o'clock in the morning and I was in the pool and I would run and I was logging somewhere between hundred to 120 miles of running per week. A week. And I was doing, yeah, Damn. 120 miles in a week. Those are my high weeks. And I was swimming 50 to 60 miles a week. So and I made a post about this. I'm sure you saw it. I made a post telling people like, hey, I'm not saying you need to do this because this is not an optimal program, but I am telling you that it did work. So like, do you need to run 100 miles a week? No, you don't. You can get faster running a lot less than that. But even a shitty program, like running this massive volume, um, it will work if you put the work in. So you don't need to have an optimal program. Um, you can choose a bad program and execute it with extreme effort and focus, and you will make progress even on a bad program. 
Uh, and so I was doing hundreds of pull-ups, thousands of push-ups. It's like all I did every day, get up, you know, swim, run, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, you know, all this stuff like that. And I was lifting weights because uh, I want to make sure I was strong enough because I don't want to be the weak guy on the team. And then I went and took my PST and I just blew it out of the water. Um, so, so much for that whole thing about you're not physically fit enough to be a U.S. Marine Corps officer. Um, I just didn't train for it the right way. You know, I wasn't prepared when I went in. Um, when I showed up to take my PST screening for the Navy, they were like blown out of the water. They were looking at my numbers and like, holy shit, like this might be one of the highest composite scores I've ever seen. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I trained for it. And then SEAL mentor, I still remember this guy, Eric Keating. And he was like, clearly you trained for this. He's like, this isn't a normal score to see out of people. He's like, what did you do? When I told him what I did, he just looked at me and just shook his head. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that'll do it. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, all I did was train. I told him, like, I got up in the morning, I train, I eat, I train, I eat, I do more, I eat, and then I go to bed. And like, was that, that was a full-time job for me as far as I was concerned. I didn't do anything else. Um, the girl I was with at the time, it drove her absolutely like, because we don't go out to dinner. Why not? Because Chad's out running. Like, we didn't have time for other things because all I did was train. And uh, anyways, long story short, I didn't make it as a Navy SEAL either, but that was for other reasons. So it's not because I wasn't fit enough this time around. People don't appreciate um, how much attrition there is in that program. Like, you screw something up, that could be your last day, you know? So there's safety violations and there's ethics violations and all kinds of things that they have in there um like it's more than just performance like you know you watch these things on tv and people don't appreciate that that's that's nothing like seal training um so i think the numbers that were thrown at me at one point in time was something like one out of every ten thousand kids that walk into a recruiter's office actually make it through the program so when you watch that shit on tv and they have 300 guys and only 20 of them make it you're already down to the last 300 out of I don't know, however many thousands and thousands and thousands of guys that applied. And out of that last 300, 20 of them are going to make it. So like you're already narrowed way down, you know? I mean, like when you get to boot camp, everybody's like, yeah, I'm going SEAL. Um, and then very quickly that doesn't happen because people take their PST and fail it at boot camp. And then you have pre-buds um, and people will fill the PST there too. So those guys are out really quick. Um, and then and it just comes down, you know, each layer of the, the system that you go through, it's just more and more narrow till you're down to those last guys. So anyways, this is where we're going to make a big jump. Um, so the whole Navy thing didn't work out for me. Uh, and so I ended up kind of reevaluating what I was doing in life. And, oh, I skipped something for you. At the age of 15, I started coaching hockey. So I, you know, I mentioned I was a hockey player. And at the age of like 16, 17, I got in with a good coach and started learning stuff. Well, to get more ice time, I got a job at the rink because hockey's expensive and I didn't have any money. Um, and so I got a job working at the rink and I lied and told them I was 16 um, and they let me coach. So I was coaching like little kids. So I'm like 15 and I'm teaching kids how to skate. Like I got like, you know, eight, nine year old kids. Like I'm not like coaching 12 year olds who'd be a little too close to me in age. So I started coaching at the age of 15. Um, and then I continued doing that while I was playing hockey. And I even continued that in college. I would coach on the weekends. So I had like learn to play hockey. Like that's the name of the program it was USA Hockey, learn to play hockey. I was coaching that for a while. And then uh, there's a small team that was in, Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, called the Wildcats, and uh, I ended up coaching them for a little bit. Um, so I had this coaching background already, 
And at this point in time, you know, I'm kind of stopping here and I'm like, wow, like everything went to shit. Like I didn't, I didn't do the med school thing. Uh, Marine Corps didn't work out and the Navy didn't work out. So, and I mean, I'm not going to be a fighter. I already told you that I had this losing record. I was getting the shit kicked out of me doing MMA. So that's not a career either. And uh, I'm not very good at boxing either. If I didn't mention the boxing thing, I had some boxing background, but um, I wasn't good at that. So it's like, now what do I do? So I went into coaching and I recognized that uh, strength conditioning was something that I actually was okay at. Um, so I started coaching other guys for free. Like I just started talking to guys because there was a lot of people that knew my name. Um, a lot of guys that were military and they were asking me, how do I, how do I prep for this? How do I prep for that? And I was like, well, it's pretty simple. You know, we'll just get stronger, get faster um, and you'll blow this thing out of the water. And that's how I found my way into strength and conditioning. So I did an internship working with Ron D'Angelo. I don't know if you know that name. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And he's an AT. He works with a ton of injured athletes. And they're always like pro athletes. They're amazing. Uh, he used to be the AT for the Toronto Raptors. Okay. That's what he did previously. And, uh, and I worked with Ron for a bit and I bounced around and did a bunch of other unpaid internships for a variety of other people, but Ron would have been the most important of those. Um, cause Ron was my first one and Ron is obviously the one I learned the most from. And yeah, from there I got involved in every aspect of strength and conditioning you could think of. So, um, I've worked with baseball players. I've worked with football players. I've worked with minor pro football, um, but really, my, my bread and butter is military. Those yep. are my guys that I love working with. And um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to coach those guys for free. And so if I come in and I'm coaching you know, baseball, basketball, football, whatever, some sport, um, yeah, those, those pay. But when I get my military guys, um, and I'm, I'm by, when I talk about the military, these guys, I don't advertise. Like, I don't do any marketing at all. Like, I am, I am the worst a person to talk to about any kind of marketing or or promoting yourself. But I don't need to with the military because these guys get my name. So these guys come to me and they tell me, hey, you know, I'm on whatever team or unit. And uh, this other guy that's in my unit said that he trained with you. Can you work with me? And I'm like, yep. So like I am really by referral only. So I don't get random people that are just like, oh, I just want to get in shape to become a Navy SEAL. I don't get those people anymore. Instead, I get guys who are already on a team. And these guys tell me something like, hey, I want to go on to this other tier one unit. And I'm like, okay, like this is the person I'm going to work with. Um, some of these tier one units have extremely difficult selection schools. So like if you look at something like the PST for the Navy SEALs, that's a joke. Like you should be able to do that. Either. These guys that go to some of these selection schools, like you wouldn't believe the test that they put these guys through. Um, it's just, it's brutal. And like, not all of them are push-ups and sit-ups. Like I know everyone looks at these things because what you see on the internet, it's like, oh yeah, you got to do this many pull-ups or this much of a, you know, like the Marine Corps has their, their three mile run. Right. And it's like, that's nothing. Like some of these selection schools have a 50 mile rock. How do you train for a 50 mile rock? Like that's, that's a totally different game. Uh, congratulations. You know, you can run a 5k in 18 minutes. Like now put on a 50 pound pack. And I want you to carry this thing for 50 miles. Oh, and by the way, it isn't just carrying it 50 miles because you have to do land navigation. And let me make this even better for you. It happens to be somewhere in West Virginia. Don't worry about which uh, camp it's at. But the terrain is a lot of up and down verticals. So you're going to have to climb at some point. And it's like, now do that. 
because carrying a 50 pound rock sucks 50 miles is awful now you see the terrain that they have to go through and it's like how can someone do this and they do it um, and that is a real wake up real real fast you realize holy shit these dudes are elite athletes um like there are some guys out there who will blow your mind i had a I guess leapfrogs is, is an open thing. That's like the, how like, you know, the Air Force has their Thunderbirds and the you know, Navy has their Blue Angels. So there was a guy that I was working with who was on the Navy's, uh, they have a parachute team called the leapfrogs. I don't know if you're familiar with it. You ever see these guys, they parachute into like the Super Bowl even. Like they parachute oh, really? on the field. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys will parachute in. It's purely for promotion. You know, the Navy uses it the same way that they use the Blue Angels, right? They fly over their stadium and stuff like that. These guys parachute in. And this dude was 42 years old and he shows up and, you know, I'm talking to him and we're working together. I watched this guy put a 35 pound dumbbell between his feet and he banged out 30 reps. Like that wasn't him maxing out. Like he put a, a, a dumbbell between his feet, hops up on the pull-up bar and bangs out 30 reps. And I'm like, how old are you? He's like 42. I was like, something's wrong here. Like this man is entirely too athletic um, to just be Navy because these guys, that's one thing I'll tell you real quick. When you talk to these guys, I can almost always pick them out because when I talk to them and I'm like, hey, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm in the Navy. And it's like, oh, what do you do in the Navy? And it's like, oh, um, you know, I'm, I went to A school as a gunner's mate. And I'm like, that didn't answer my question. So clearly you must be something more important, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> yeah. these guys, they don't throw it in your face like, well, I'm a SEAL. No, instead they tell you some answer like, well, I went to, I went to a school for, you know, being a gunner's mate or something. And it's like, yeah, so that's not what you do though, but I get what you just did there. Um, you know, I'll run into this guy and I'm like, oh, what are you doing in the army? And there's like, oh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just regular army. Nobody says that, you know, unless you're something more. Cause if you are regular army, then you're like, I'm alpha, blah, 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 11 Bravo. You know, they make it sound something way bigger. Yeah. When you run into the guy who's actually SF, he likes, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just regular, regular infantry, regular infantry. Okay. Clearly not because you don't look like a regular infantry guy. <laughs> You've got a yoked. beard <laughs> and yeah. And you're, you're, you got sleeves all the way down on both arms and your hands are covered in tattoos and, um, you know, I've never seen a regular army guy, right? Regular infantry with, with a big beard and tattoos like this. And he's jacked. And I'm like, no, I got a feeling you'd probably do something a little more important, which eventually they tell you. But when they meet you for the first time, they're not going to tell you that. They don't want you like, I don't know, fanboying or something like, you know, they probably get a lot of weird reactions from people. So you can usually tell these guys pretty quick because they're a little too humble. You know, they're just like, oh, you know, I'm just regular infantry. Regular and then you see these guys and it's like they're they are the elite i mean these guys are are you keep hearing these stupid stories about hybrid athletes and stuff like that i know everyone likes to use that term now i don't know why that's become popular and it's like these guys were quote hybrid long before that was ever even a concept you know like these guys are out there they're lifting heavy they're running extremely long distances at amazingly fast paces um and they just go and it's like I tell people all the time, you can't, how do I explain this? For those of us who are mortal, you can't do what they do. These guys will go 10 days without food and then do a five mile run at a five minute pace. <laughs> and it's like, you haven't even eaten in 10 days. How are you running a five minute mile, let alone holding that for multiple miles? And it's like, yeah, so these guys are freaks. They go days without food or, or sleep and then they still 
like perform at an amazing level. So, and that shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, you see these guys that go through buds and stuff like that. They have hell week. There are guys who during hell week somehow are still managing to run their four mile run, which is on sand in under 30 minutes. Now that doesn't sound all that impressive. Oh, you ran four miles in you know under 30 minutes. And it's like, okay, yep. But he hasn't eaten or slept in how long. And, uh, and it's in sand. He's covered in water. Um, like he's soaking wet and he's doing it and wearing boots. Like, let me know how fast you run a mile if you're in boots, let alone you haven't slept in days and now you're covered in freezing water. I don't know. You know, for most of us, you, you'd be pretty beat to shit. These guys, no, he just cruises along. So, you know, that's probably gotten too deep into the weeds on that stuff. But that's the kind of people that come to me and, and ask me for help. And those are the people I'm really happy to help. Now, I love helping everybody. I like working with football players, actually. I love working with football players. They're really fun um, because you get to – someone basically hands you the keys to a Porsche. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Um, some of these athletes are just – it's like a thoroughbred horse, and it is so much fun working with them. It's, I'm going to say it's actually easy to work with good athletes. And I know that like, there's probably a lot of coaches that are going to be like, oh, that's, I can't believe you said it's easy to work with pro athletes. And I'm like, but it is, though. And here's why it's easy. It's not easy because programming, the more advanced they are, the programming is actually harder. But just to put this into perspective, I had this dude come to me. He was prepping for the combine. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm working out of a gym and I'm training other people and stuff like that. And one day he came in a little bit early and saw me working with somebody. You know, I'm doing snatches. And he's like, what's that, uh, what's that thing you do where you jump at the barbell? And I was like, oh, it's called a snatch. And he's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's an Olympic weightlifting thing. I was like, don't worry about it, though. You don't need to do it. He's like, oh, no. He's like, I think I can do that. Before I could even finish telling him, you know, we're not going to do that, he just picks up a barbell and snatches it. And he was like, like this? And I was like, yep, exactly like that. And I was like, have you done that before? He's like, no, I just watched you do it a couple times. Right. So you watched me do it a couple times, and then you went and just did exactly what you saw. You did it damn near perfect without (laughs) any instruction at all. And so I'm just like, that's one of those moments where you realize like your best athletes, these elite level athletes, they're visual learners. They can watch you do something once and then they're just their physical fluency, if you if you could use that as like a term. They can watch someone else do something and then immediately turn around and replicate because they have such uh, their their athletic ability gives them the body awareness and proprioception to know exactly where they are in space. They watch someone else do anything. And they can just immediately turn around and mimic it. And, you know, that's what I realized real fast with the guys that are at the top level. Um, like, you can't, you can't train that kind of athleticism. You know, I had a guy, this is, this is a perfect example of it, too. Um, he was like 6'8", and I think he weighed in at 326 pounds when I first got him. Just a freak of an athlete. And he's doing power cleans with 405 pounds for sets of five. And I'm like, you know how long it takes for people to get to that level? This kid was a senior in high school. And he's, you know, he's obviously, as you can imagine, like, you don't need me to tell you that he's going to go play college ball. Because, I mean, you're 6'8 and 300 and you're in the 320s. Yeah, he's going to go play college ball. Um, But it was one of those moments where, like, I looked at this guy and I was like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 18. And I'm like, you look like you're 35. But, you know, it's that physical maturity, right? And he was just a freak of an athlete. And anything I taught him, he just was able to do it right away. It was just that, that physical fluency again. And I'm like, right. So like, uh, there's not a whole lot I can do with this person that's going to make them better than they already are. Like he's already freaky strong. 
And it's basically a matter of, well, I just need to make sure you don't do too much and injure yourself. Because as long as he keeps coming in and he's squatting, he's deadlifting, he's pressing, he's just doing the work, he just keeps getting better. I mean, 18, he's just going to respond to everything he does. The only thing I had to do was make sure he didn't get hurt. That's one of those moments where like, you realize like the, the guys that are at that level, like they are genetically gifted. Like they were already good and they were already big. And then they started lifting weights and they got even better. Yeah. And it's, it's the luck of the dive trying to get that as a coach too. Cause I, I, I say this all the time, like, but you, you mentioned, um, we, I was a division three strength coach and then I got a, a division one job and that was the easiest job I've ever had in my life. Yep. I mean, I, we bring in all these division one recruits and freshmen. And I was like, and I was coming from this division three. So I'm like, okay, we're going to teach them how to do all this stuff. And it's going to yeah. take a bit day one, day one, what took, and, and this is like, it was so cool. Cause it's like, what was like, what was maybe it took three to four weeks these kids could do day one. And you, you think yeah. of that progression over a year, like they are literally that much that they are 20 days ahead of a division three competition in everything yeah. they do. And that's exponential. So I was like, Lane, like you said, like, I was like, <laughs> I literally tell the same exact story. You said, I said, I think it was, I can't remember what exercise it was, but it was like, I might get, we got to do it like this. And then like the, all of them just grab the bar and they're like, like this. And I'm like, yep exactly Boom. like that there's nothing else i'm gonna do with you like yeah. you, you're set and like you said it's like because then it's like it turns into the appeal to authority it's like okay what athletes have you worked with like or like people are right. looking at these i'm like man it, that's such a stupid way to look at it like i got that division one experience that's not even a professional athlete that's a division one athlete mm -hmm. um and these are freaks it's like the professionals are going to be even crazier so it's like you could be the oh, worst yes. i could be li literally the worst coach in the world and i can make that i can make that kid not make him do anything. i'm not making him do anything i'm just taking credit yeah. for what his genetics were given to him i, I hate to say it but I, I point it out to people all the time and i don't i don't mean this to be insulting to coaches who are coaching at that level because like this is the name of the game you recruit the talent and whenever you recruit the talent it makes you look like a great coach. Yep. Like people would think like, oh my God, you must be the greatest coach ever. Didn't you have a guy that deadlifted 800 pounds? And it's like, yes, but he was already doing like 745, 750 with the day he walked in as a freshman. So it's like the fact that he deadlifted 800 pounds isn't because I did anything. It's not like I took a guy who couldn't deadlift 225 and brought him all the way up. It's like this guy was already freaky strong and then just managed to just make it just a general progression of putting five pounds on the bar every week. Like, yeah. like it, but, but, Oh, but look, he hit this incredible lift. And I'm like, yeah, but, but I'm telling you, he was already incredible the day he walked in. You know, I had a guy that went to the combine, he ran a four, four and people were like, wow, that's incredible. What did you do to make him faster? And I said, I didn't, he ran a four, four the first day he walked in. <laughs> like, like that's the truth. Like this guy ran a four, four the day he walked in. And it was like, okay. And he, you know, I said to him like, well, what, what do you want to work on? Cause like, you know, you're already crazy fast. And he's like, Oh, I got to get my bench press up. You know, I got to get higher reps on the bench press test. That's my weak point. All right. Well, we addressed that. And we addressed that by just doing more bench pressing, but I didn't have to change anything about his running. Like his technique was fantastic. He ran track and he was played football as a running back. And it was like, you're already crazy fast. There's nothing I'm going to do, but shit, if I start messing with his technique, what if I made him slower? You know? So it was like, okay, I'm not going to attempt to make you run a four, three. If you run a four, three, that's great. You know, like a, a, God bless you. Um, but you're already in a four, four and you're already jumping over 40 inches. So when you come in and tell me you need to get your bench press up, I'm like, let's get that bench press up. Cause that's one thing that we can do for certain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Loving like, fruit. 
how do you add inch to a guy who's already doing like a 41, 42 inch vert? It's like, well, I'm gonna put one more inch on you. And it's like, with what? With what? I've got you for six weeks. Like, you know, maybe if I had a year with this guy, maybe we would do something to focus on his vertical jump. But when he comes in, he says six weeks to prep for the combine. It's like, well, there's nothing I'm gonna do that's gonna put an inch on your vertical in six weeks. Um, or anything that you do, could try to do to try and do yeah. that is probably not worth the squeeze there. Well, I don't want to sound like I'm 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 chicken shit or something, but like when I see him already jumping over 40 and running a 4-4, I'm like, I just don't want to injure him. Like as long as he shows up healthy, he's gonna do fine with these numbers already. He's gonna make millions. Yeah. It'd be a totally different story though if I had a guy come in and he's like, Oh, I have a 24 inch vertical. I'm gonna look at you and be like, Okay, your technique must be awful or something because you're not playing D1 football because you're slow and weak. So you're already playing D1 football. You already got an invite to the combine. Why are you only jumping 24 inches? Well, you probably suck at the test. Like half the game is learning how to do the test. I mean, I'll be honest with, with that. I mean, people, people love to promote their vertical jump. Like, oh, I can make your vertical jump bigger in such and such weeks. And it's like, well, try before you go out and follow some vertical jump program. And I'm not knocking the vertical jump programs out there. They're, they're, there's some really good ones out there. Practice the test. Because for a lot of people, just getting better at doing the test will instantly put inches on their vertical. Because it's like you'll talk to a guy and he's like, oh, yeah, I got a 28-inch vertical. It's like, how often do you test it? And it's like, oh, once or twice a year. And it's like, mm, no, like you need to start actually doing the test on a regular basis just so you get better at doing the test um, especially with how there's like there's 19 different ways to measure verticals now too and yeah. it's like whatever oh, yeah. whatever you're gonna whatever domain yep. you're gonna be go tested in like go test and that like dunking is way different than a jump mat and a jump mat's yeah. gonna be way different than the vert tech and just go master the the, the one that you need to get yeah. good at because like the so the jump mat's a really good example for me uh, I, we never had a jump mat. Everything was a Vertec or this, it, it was a different laser that was measuring it a different way than jump mat. Um, but now I've noticed, like I figured out the jump mat and it added four inches yep. to the vert, just figuring out how to jump on the jump mat to get it, you know? So it's like, just That's like you said. Yeah. You know, it's even like the guys that come to me for military stuff and it's like, well, I got to get this many pull-ups and it's like, well, how often do you practice the circumstances of the test? And they're like, I don't. And I'm like, well, why aren't you doing the test? I mean, it's great. You're doing weighted pull-ups instead of body weight pull-ups, but you know the test is to be body weight pull-ups. And there's like a certain cadence mm -hmm. you get used to. You know, like if you go too fast, you'll burn out. If you go too slow, your grip's going to give up. It's like you have to find that cadence where you're able to keep the most pull-ups possible because you're on the bar for the shortest time possible, but you're not going so fast that you wear yourself out either. And it's like just practicing the test, you get better at it. Same thing happens in the bench press test though. Like there are guys who could get way more reps on their bench press test, but they start off as fast as they possibly can. And then they're smoked. And then they're just trying to squeeze one more rep, one more rep, one more rep. And it's like, dude, if you paced yourself, you know, get on like a cadence, like one, two, one, two, one, two, suddenly you would get more reps. Um, and you can screw yourself going too slow too. Cause if you go too slow now, you know, you're just accumulating fatigue of just holding the bar. There's a trick to it. Like there's a certain, it's like learning to pace yourself. If I asked you to run a mile and you came out at full sprint right off the line, like you're not going to run a great mile today because you're going to burn out before you get there. Um, and then if you come out too easy and you have too much left at the end and you don't speed up till the last 400 meters, like you're going to have a bad mile time there too. So there's like a trick to running the mile where like you have to pace yourself so that you get the best time possible. Well, the same thing is true of every test though. Whether we're testing your you know, you're 40 or we're testing your vertical or, 
you know, we're doing the bench press test, any test at all, there's a certain element where you just get better just from practicing the damn test. Um, way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I fucking love that. So we, we, we talked about the, the, the test and, but you also talked about basically that the test uh, when you're preparing people for these special forces is almost untestable. Like, hey, how are you going to test somebody oh, or train man. somebody for that 50 yard ruck? So one of the things yeah. I was thinking was like, how are you preparing them for basically the unpreparable and how are you preparing? Like, as like, I feel like I'm immortal. How are you preparing? Like as a mortal, these Im- immortal people, like these, these just yeah. absolute specimens for this this test that seems unpreparable for like what's your kind of approach and thought process there we build the biggest base possible like i just think of it like um like gpp and stuff like that like you would do with athletes it's no different for these guys we build the biggest base possible um and this is going to be unpopular and i don't care because it's what works zone one cardio not zone two everyone likes to say zone two and you know what i'll 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 back up for a second here because I actually am a bit of a scientific person. Um, I really do appreciate research. And so I will not argue that the research on zone two cardio and metabolic health, cardiac health, et cetera, that's, that's great stuff. That really is. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you don't do zone two cardio because there's plenty of research showing that zone two cardio is what you should be doing if you want to avoid things like cardiovascular. The thing is, look at the study and look at the subjects. And it's like, these are people who don't exercise at all. And now they're going to do 20 minutes of activity a week. And so they do zone two cardio for their 20 minutes of activity. All right, that's fine. And that's great. And if that's your general population and you're just, you know, trying to avoid obesity and diabetes, hey, go do your zone two cardio. That's not who I'm working with. I'm working with guys who are already training for hours and hours and hours a week. Like these guys train every day. Um, well, they need bigger aerobic bases so that they can perform these extremely long endurance events. So we're going to follow like Dr. Steve Seiler. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Mm-mm. polarized training and all the stuff like that. Um, zone one cardio, we do the really low stuff and yep. Oh my gosh, we'll do a two hour and then we'll try to increase it to two and a half hours. And then we'll try to create increase it to three hours, you know, and we will just push that zone one cardio till their aerobic base just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At the same time, we keep some speed work in because if your max speed is 15 miles an hour, um, you're not going to hold 12 miles an hour for very long. If your max speed is 20 miles an hour, you will most likely be able to hold a six minute mile with a lot less effort. So you know, you look at these things, you know, 12 minute, uh, 12 mile per hour gives you roughly a five minute mile and, you know, 10 miles per hour gives you roughly six minutes. Um, none of these courses require guys to be running like a four minute mile. Most of them usually are somewhere around like a seven thirty to an eight minute mile pace. So we train to run a six because when you finally do take this test, you're probably going to be tired. It's not like these schools are come in completely fresh. Here's a great night of sleep. And here's some breakfast and, you know, we're going to do a warm up and you're nah. these guys are like three or four days in and they haven't had any sleep, any real sleep. I mean, if they sleep, it's like, you get like, they call them like ranger naps. Um, so like you get 10 minutes here and you get like 15 minutes here and 10 minutes here and 15 minutes here. So you haven't had an actual night of sleep and, uh, you're probably very underfed. And then the instructors go, okay, you know, five mile run, <laughs> like this is not optimal condition. So we train to run sixes and just hope that you're going to stay sub eight um, for the rucking. Uh, that is a beast. 
I know everyone likes to talk about rucking these days. Lots of people are like, yeah, I do rucking for my cardio. And that's great. Like, I don't have anything negative to say about people doing it for health. Um, but when these guys are carrying 50 pounds for 50 miles, one, they got to have that huge aerobic base. You have to have it. Like, there's, it's just, it's a non-negotiable. Two, they also have to be strong. So I like doing a lot of stuff that people probably will hate, but um, loaded carries. I like to use really heavy loaded carries. I'll tell you what, if you can carry a 600 pound yoke and you can do that, you're not going to have a problem with a 50 pound pack. Um, so like yoke walks, um, suitcase carries, farmer walks. I, I'm not picky. I don't care. Pick up a heavy sandbag, bear hug it and carry it for as far as you possibly can. Um, by the time that you're able to bear hug a 200 pound sandbag and carry that, like 50 pounds on your back is not going to be, you know, a terribly uh, difficult thing for you to do. A lot of this shit, though, like I'll be honest with you, that guys wash out due to really crappy circumstances. Um, guys will like chafing. How do you prepare people for that? I don't know. I, if someone has an answer to that, please message me. I actually I'm very open to any suggestions that people have. But like one of the big issues that even happens at like buds for these seal candidates, the chafing gets so bad guys, their skin just wears off and it's raw and it's bleeding and it gets infected. And then you're, I mean, you're just screwed. Like there's not a solution to this. Like you have an infection, like you are going to get pulled from training and you're going to need amoxicillin or something like that. Um, so there, when you talk about the things you can't prepare for, like there are things you can't prepare for. There's a lot of things you can't prepare for. It's really easy for me to prepare you to say, hey, can you carry a 50-pound ruck? Well, yeah, of course you can because you don't have any trouble carrying 175 pounds uh, for a sub-15-minute mile. You know, we'll do a heavy one. Like, I'm not saying everything has to be long distance. Sometimes it's like, hey, dude, let's, uh, let's do 185 pounds and we'll carry it for half a mile. Well, it, tell you what, if you can carry, you know, 175, 185 pounds for a mile, and you're doing that under 15 minutes, you're not going to have trouble carrying a 50 pound pack by relative comparison. But now you're doing it over uneven terrain. So like, what do you do when a guy rolls his ankle? That happens all the time. You get injured and uh, more power to these guys. I mean, anyone that's been through it will tell you, guys suck it up. Everyone lies. Everyone tells the, you know, and the instructors are sitting there like, are you injured? And it's like, nope. It's like, uh, yeah, you're injured. And it's like, nope. And they will just insist that they're not injured because they don't want to get dropped from training. Uh, you don't want to let your boot crew down. You know, if you're, if you're at something like Bud's, you got a boat crew, uh, you're injured. And guys don't want to leave their team. More power to them. But the trouble is, is that now they're injured. And like, what do you think is going to happen? You're just going to keep running on that? It's just going to get worse. And so eventually guys wash out. Um, I'll tell you what, like, you know, people want to knock guys who ring the bell. That'll never happen. I'll never, ever knock somebody. If someone comes to me and tells me I rang out, I just assume they probably actually got hurt. Because there's plenty of times where guys are hurt and they know they're hurting their boat crew. You know you're holding the whole team back. And so they'll go ring out. Because why? Because it's the right thing to do. Otherwise, you're screwing everybody else that's on the boat crew. They got to carry your dead weight. So guys will go ring out. Talk to some of these guys. They'll tell you straight up. Like, why'd you ring out? Oh, well, I was, you know, slowing my boat crew down. So I rang out. And it's like, well, why were you slowing the boat crew down? It's like, oh, I had stress fractures in both tibias. It's like, hmm, kind of a big deal, you know? I'm talking to this dude and he's like, oh, my foot was fractured in, you know, four places and you were still running on it. Yeah, I was trying to, but, you know, I slowed my boot crew down. So I rang out. There's stuff you can't prepare for. The stuff you can prepare for, the stuff like, you know, the ruck, like that's something that you're aware of. Um, there was a guy I helped prep for 
I don't think they even exist anymore. There's something called Nest. Have you ever heard of this? Mm -mm. It's a nuclear emergency search team. And if I understand correctly, they don't actually don't have these anymore. That's the only reason I'm even mention it. Um, I helped them prepare for that. And um, I look back at it now and I realize I didn't help him prepare for anything. So we prepped for all the stuff that he knew he was going to do, mm -hmm. right? And then after he went through the selection school and got done, then he came back and told me all the stuff that he didn't know. So there's a lot of stuff that they you know, don't tell you ahead of time that they're going to do this to you. Um, it blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, I would have never even thought that they would include that in a selection school. So sometimes they throw stuff at you that you can't prepare for at all because you don't know that that exists. Like you don't know that that's part of the program. Um, SEER is a big one like that. SEER is your uh, survival school. Like they prepare you for being caught by the enemy and stuff like that. Um, that's one where like I actually won't talk about the stuff that I know because the whole point of it is to hit you with things that you're not prepared for. Mm. Like I'd be doing you a disservice if I told you what they're going to do to you because the element of not knowing is the part that's important. To mm -hmm. Similarly, some of these schools, they change them all the time. So again, it comes back to building a huge base. You know, we, we make them strong, make them fit, make them well-rounded, and then just hope for the best because these schools, they change their tests all the time. They change the selection schools because they want it to have an unknown element that you can't prepare for. Um, and I'll say something really radical here. People are going to think this is nuts, but oddly enough, and I'm not suggesting you do this, but it's kind of like I said uh, earlier, I was talking about how I would run, you know, 100 to 120 miles a week. That's not the best way for you to improve your mile time, but it worked. Similarly, the guys who do things like CrossFit actually do okay. Is CrossFit the best way to train for this? No. Will it work? Surprisingly enough, yes, it does. There are plenty of guys that I've run into. who I, I've run into guys who are CAG operators. And it was like, well, how'd you prepare for it? And they were like, oh, I did a lot of CrossFit. And I'm like, I can't knock you because <laughs> yeah. you made it. Like, what am I going to tell you? Like, you did a lot of CrossFit to prepare for this thing and you made it. Oh, well, let me tell you why that was wrong. Like, no, I'm not going to tell you that was wrong. You did it. Um, you know, if a guy told me, hey, man, I prepared for selection by doing CrossFit, I don't think that's the best way to prepare for selection, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it didn't work. So there's a lot of guys that are out there doing, and I don't even want to say it's even CrossFit because they're more, they're more thoughtful than CrossFit. So it's CrossFit style workouts, I should say. Yeah. They're not doing CrossFit. They're not going to the main site and then doing some, you know, random chipper wad or something like that. But a lot of their workouts look like CrossFit. You know, you'll see a lot of stuff that's like running followed by pull-ups and push-ups and then more running and then followed by, you know, deadlifts and squats or something. And like, it looks like a CrossFit workout because they go through it as fast as possible from start to finish, or they're doing like the rounds thing, you know, they're doing the, the AMRAP thing or whatever it is, like as many rounds as possible, whatever they call that. Um, and that works because they put some thought into it though. They have the running, they have the push-ups, they have the pull-ups. They're not just doing like, some random CrossFit workout of like, oh, I'm gonna do 30 snatches. They're not doing that workout. That's not how they're training. So it's heavily CrossFit in, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. well, it's like one a of horseman the thing, program. One of the things I'm taking from all of this is, and this is this is why I was really attracted to having you on, and this this fucking lived up to the hype here. Was it's like all of your failures, 
and your ability to like see this it's it's almost like you saw the fairy tale end uh and yeah. you, you saw this like the stuff that like the fairy tale is like we can prepare them for everything we're going to be able to get them perfect and like you kind of saw that vanish and it's like this the, the stuff that you can't prepare for the stuff that the the, the failures the, the like the stuff like chafing like you never hear a coach talk about that you never hear anybody talk about like the freak stuff or the, the really the stuff that you can't talk about but what that it seems what that has allowed you to do is to actually just objectively see the things you can prepare for and almost like super simplify and eliminate the bullshit for the things that you can prepare for because you've seen the things that you can't prepare for and it's like okay this stuff yeah. is easy the shit that is not easy is the stuff you can't prepare for i mean i hate to say it but like it's it's all just gpp for those guys so like if you want to talk about sport um we're talking a totally different game now i know what's going to happen in a sport like i can i can tell you the distance from from home to to first right? I, I know exactly how far I have to run to get to first base. You look at football and like, I'm never going to have to run more than hundred yards. In fact, that probably will never even happen in the game, but in the worst case scenario, I'm going to run hundred yards, right? Like, you know, the demands of this, you know, the time frame um, for these guys that are doing the military thing. And I, I am sorry if I've talked too long on the military, because it's not like it's military is not the only thing I do. Um, but it's the one I'm most passionate about. And it just ends up being a ton of GPP. Like that's the honest truth behind it. And I tell people all the time that the magic of working with the military is finding the threshold of the amount of volume that they can do um, without digging into overtraining or getting injured because they need to be good at everything. Uh, I'll give you a stupid one that blew my mind, but this was a fantastic test. Um, there was a particular unit that had a 225 test as part of their screening. You had to be able to bench 225 for at least five, which doesn't sound all that hard, except for the fact that, keep in mind, most of these guys are like 170 pounds. Mm -hmm. And you had to be able to back squat the 225 for a set of 10. Again, this isn't so bad. Like, that's totally reasonable. But mind you, these guys are roughly 170 pounds. So, and again, like, this is not an unreasonable standard. None of these standards are ever unreasonable. If I told you you had to do 100 push-ups, that's not an unreasonable number to ask someone to do. What makes this difficult is the fact that you have to be able to bench 225 for five. You have to be able to back squat 225 for 10. You also needed to be able to do at least 20 pull-ups. Okay, now this is starting to get a little more difficult. You needed to be at least, I think they had 80 push-ups as the minimum. It's two minutes at that. So it isn't just 80 push-ups. It's getting 80 push-ups in the two minutes. They had to have like 80 sit-ups in two minutes. Uh, their swim time was the point that hit me hard. Um, I feel like they're... It was a 500 meter swim. I don't think it was 500 yards. I think it was 500 meters. And you had to do it in like nine minutes, but you had to do it side stroke. So like, this isn't like freestyle. This is side stroke 500 meters in under nine minutes. And then they had a, I think it was a four mile run and it had to be done in under 28 minutes. Okay. And suddenly this is a very different beast. Any one of those things by itself is not that hard. Now you're going to do all of those things. And you're going to do them all back to back to back to back to back. And it's like, well, now this is a very different game because any of those things by itself, who gives a shit? You could get to 20 pull-ups. Like if all you had to do for a test was, oh, I, all I have to prepare for is 20 pull-ups. Yeah, okay. Go do paddles, grease the groove, and just start doing pull-ups every day and you will get to 20 pull-ups. But yeah, by the way, you also have to do a run pretty, pretty quick. I mean, that's you're looking at a seven-minute mile pace. Um, and holding that for four miles. And you also have to be able to swim. And it has to be a shitty stroke at that. It can't be freestyle, which would be fast. I don't know. Got to be side stroke. Um, and then, you know, you also have to be able to, to lift, you know, 225. Uh, you have to be able to bench that and squat that for reps. 
And it's like, shit, now we're in a very different situation because any of those things by itself, like I said, is not a difficult task. Suddenly, though, when you have to put all those things together and do them in sequence, and of course, you're doing the run last. So like, that's fun. Um, try going for a run after you've just finished a swim. Like, I mean, like, and I mean, really just after you finish the swim, like you get out of the pool and like within five minutes of getting out of the pool, you're starting the run. Mm. Like there isn't a whole lot of recovery time, you know? And now this is a different game. So like I said, the GPP becomes really critical for those guys. Um, sport is so much easier by comparison. Yeah. And one of the things though, that, that you are continuing to point out is these absolute, basically freaks and then these hybrid freaks. Mm -hmm. And they are. One, of the, one of the quotes that I love, and I'm going to tie this into sports is because like you have the, these absolute freaks that are capable of doing it all. And then you have the, yeah. these sports where it, it is more defined, but you have these strength coaches that like basically saying like these people are unable to do it. Like they're unable to do both these things. And one of your quotes was like, you watch all these old Soviet videos of all these yeah. like um, Soviet guys doing all these movements and the Americans are like, nah, that'll make me slow. And that, that, that it's like this paradox and like just kind of like this fake box we kind of created where like especially somebody in your situation you're seeing it's all bullshit like we see it yeah. in the soviet videos it's all but like these absolute freaks of nature doing all this stuff and then you have some fucking beer belly like american strength like, no nah, don't do that like don't do that but you also see it day to day in these absolute hybrid freaks and then you yeah. see the american sport world and it's like mostly kids are so just like and, and uh, like unprepared like there's, there's so many yeah. kids especially in high school man like i started working with a lot of high school kids recently like and, and they, these kids are worried about like specifics and like like super specific things or not getting i'm like man you are just so vastly unprepared and they, they I, I hear your thoughts on that yeah they don't have basic fitness it's like you're you're worried about this super specific thing and it's like you don't have basic fitness like what you just described there is the perfect example. I mean, so weightlifting is something I enjoy. Um, so just to be really clear, it's not like I, I'm not a weightlifting coach. I like weightlifting for my own personal. That's my that's my game. I like doing weightlifting. And I am not someone who's hardcore. Like we have to do the lifts. Like every single athlete I coach has to do the lifts. Um, I'm not I'm not that person. I, I want to make it really clear. I I do weightlifting for myself because I like it. But now take a look at the Soviet lifters, like you just pointed out. Okay. So like they're running. Wait a minute. Why are they running? They're weightlifters and they're doing calisthenics and they're doing balance work. And what the hell is going on here? It like this, these, these things have nothing to do with weightlifting. So if you talk to an American weightlifter, they're like, yeah, I don't run. It will make me weak. And it's like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure you could run and it won't make you weak because the Soviets are doing that and it's not making them weak. And mind you, like, just to be real clear, like you watch those videos, these guys are sprinting hills. They're not going for like a 10 mile run. Like they're not jogging. The Soviet lifters are not out there going for a, a 10 mile jog. They're sprinting a hill. They walk down, they sprint the hill again. You've seen videos of Klokov putting a barbell on his back and walking upstairs. <laughs> like, yeah, that actually transfers to weightlifting. Like put a heavy barbell on your back and walk upstairs. Um, Werner Gunthor, like doing those giant jumps up flights of stairs, right? It's like, yep, that definitely transfers, you know, and you look at the Soviets and they have this extremely well-rounded program of everything. Shit, look at the Chinese. I mean, they're doing dips. Why are you doing dips? That's a gymnastic thing. You know, you talk to an American weightlifter and they're like, oh yeah, I wouldn't do dips. No, I only just, all I do is jerk. And it's like, why? You know, and it's like even the whole Bulgarian thing. Oh my God, the Bulgarian thing drives me absolutely nuts. People will tell you, oh, well, you know, all the Bulgarian program is you max out on snatch, max out on clean and jerk, and max out on squat. 
And it's like, well, if that's the case, then why the hell did uh, Abajiv have all these notebooks where they were lifting specific percentages? Like you look at name, greatest weightlifter of all time. And it's like, you look at his program. It's like, well, there were days where he came in and did like three snatches at 70%. And then you look down the line. It's like, and then he did two cleans at 80%. And then he did jerks at 85%. And on this day, he did front squats at, you know, 75%. And on this day, he did back squats at like 70%. What happened to this whole thing about maxing out every day? Why does he have a notebook full of doing 70% for sets of three? Like maybe Bulgarian programming isn't what people think it is. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that Ivan didn't have people max out every day. The point to that though, that was their peaking cycle. Their peaking cycle when they went into competition, yes, they were maxing out all the time. That's not how they got there though. And that's a big thing too. Like you look at these guys and it's like, well, how did you get to where you are? Instead of looking at what they're doing currently, How'd you get there? Well, look at the gymnastics. This is a huge component. You have the Chinese weightlifters, and, and what do they do with them as kids? Oh, they learn basic gymnastic movement. You look at the Soviet weightlifters. What do they do as kids? Oh, they learn basic gymnastic movement. You talk to American weightlifters, and they're like, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. No, no, definitely not. And it's like, why wouldn't you? Oh, well, you know, you wouldn't want to be doing reps of push-ups. It'll make you weaker. You only want to do heavy singles. And it's like, right. So again, you don't have basic fitness. So it's like you mentioned about working at the high school kids. They don't have basic fitness. Where is your capacity to recover? I mean, I'm all for maxing out. I love maxing out. I don't think anyone loves maxing out as much as I do. I mean, I, I, like, like I get an adrenaline rush because I'm like, this weight might kill me. You know, I mean, that's, that's weightlifting for you. You want weightlifting. Weightlifting is this great sport where you, you look at this thing that's on the ground and you say, I'm going to put that over my head. If I miss, I might be decapitated. But <laughs> if I make it, this will be awesome. So like you look at this barbell and you're just like, yep, I'm going to put this thing over my head. All right. That's a crazy sport. If you don't have general fitness in the first place, though, how do you intend to recover from training whenever you know just how much training has to go into this? I mean, it's like I made a post the ones where I, I sat down and I figured out the math and it's like I've done over 300,000 snatches. That's crazy. I never even realized I had accumulated that much volume over these years. I've done over 300,000 snatches. It's not because I come in and max out every day. Like, that's not how you, like, think about that. That wouldn't just be a max single every day. I mean, how long would it take you? So you, know, you have to stop and think about this for a bit. And I'm, I'm not someone who's big on periodization either. I don't want to be like that guy who's like, oh, yeah, you have to follow a block of this and then a block of this and a block of this and a block of this. Like, I don't, you let me know how good you are at predicting the future and i'll let you know how good your periodization is um <laughs> I, I just i love the idea of periodization it makes sense i've never seen it work in practice something always changes so like i can write you a whole year program let me sit down and write out this program it is beautiful too i got all these numbers here and i'm like got these percentages and here it is and i've got it all laid out and i can predict that 365 days from now you are going to lift 20 kilos more than you did today the trouble is that that's never going to happen. This is like the magic world that like we wish existed, this theoretical thing, because you live in a bubble. So like, there's no way you're going to get sick and miss a week of training. Like that's not going to happen. And, and certainly you're not going to have any injury. You know, I mean, and we're not going to have tendonitis. Um, you're not going to break up with your girlfriend or get divorced from your wife. Uh, you're not going to move. Nothing, nothing is going to happen in your life that's going to disrupt training even for one moment. Hell, for that matter, you don't have a bad night of sleep even because, you know, the kids aren't going to be difficult ever. You know, every night your kids are just in bed at eight and it's like, oh, it's magic. My dog never gets sick. Uh, so I can guarantee that you're going to put 20 kilos on your lift. That doesn't happen for anyone. So like the idea of periodization, it's a nice idea. 
but it doesn't play out. Anyways, point being, you have to build this base. If you don't have a base, how do you expect to recover from shit later? It's the whole, I'm back to GPP all over again. And like, I hate, I hate GPP. Like, I don't like doing it. I do it because you have to do it. Like, like it's just one of those things that you just have to do this thing because you, you're going to need it later on. So like the bigger your base is, the better things go. I'll give you a stupid example, but it's like I made a post about the, the German volume drain. People shit on German volume training all the time. And it's like, well, because because you did it wrong. 10 by 10 is not a bad program. It's a bad program if you think you're going to run that long term. It's a bad program if you load it too heavy. It's a bad program if you do it wrong. But let's say you start off too light. Okay, we're going to do 10 by 10 and it's too light. Well, I'm going to put 10 more pounds on the bar next week. All right, still too light. Oh, all right. Well, you're not overtrained. We can put another 10 pounds on the bar next week. It's like you find that least, I don't want to call it, the, it's, not, it's not a minimum effective dose because everything has a dose. Like, like whether or not you realize that even when you undertrain, this is still stress on your body. Like I don't buy the mm-hmm. idea of junk volume. There's no such thing as junk volume because all volume cuts into your recovery. So like I don't like calling it junk volume. I, I get the point. People are like, well, it's junk volume because it's not productive. And I can agree with that. I just don't like calling it junk volume because I like to think that uh, if you're doing this, it's costing something. Too many people look at junk volume as just like, well, it isn't promoting anything. And it's like, but it is. It's just promoting it so small that it's not worth the squeeze. Mm -hmm. So you load your German volume training too light and each week you bump it up. And then finally you find that dose where it's like, oh, that was just right. Well, that's great because now it's time for us to change the reps again. And that's how you would want to use German volume training. Like you look at like even Charles Poliquin. People love to bash Charles Poliquin. Uh, he was not a dumb man. He might have sold some goofy shit and told people to buy this supplement or that supplement or whatever. But this is not because he was dumb. He was making money. <laughs> I can't fault him for making money. Um, it's good to make money. I, I know what it's like to not make money. I know what it's like to live out of my car. And I assure you that it is much better to make some money on the side. So Charles, you know, he would do the German volume training for two weeks. Well, what's wrong with that? You know, it's like you look at the one by 20. People bash one by 20. I have had, I am very open about the fact that I love the one by 20 program. I talk about it all the time. I tell people all the time, I think one by 20 is awesome. And I will get hate mail from people. People are like, that's the dumbest program ever. Why would you just do one set of 20? And it's like, because you don't. And people are like, oh yeah, I tried it before. I did 20 reps of everything. I never got any stronger. And it's like, well, did you do the next part where like you actually increase the weight and decrease the reps? And they're like, oh, you decrease the reps at times? I'm like, holy shit, did you actually read it? And they're like, no, I just did one by 20. And it's like, oh, so you didn't do it actually. You did it wrong. So you did it wrong and that's the problem, but you're going to blame the program. Hey, quick analogy for you. Are you into cars? Not really. All right. Well, I got it's not going to be a great analogy for you, but maybe <laughs> other people. So, somebody listening you. will. Yeah. Um, a Porsche 911 Turbo is a fantastic car. It really is. Uh, if you like driving cars and you are a driver and you love to drive, you will really enjoy a Porsche 911 Turbo. If you can drive a stick, most people can't, but I realize that you know I'm old, so people in my generation had to learn how to drive a stick. If you let the clutch out just a little bit too fast on your 911, you're going to grind the ears. It is not forgiving. It is very, very precise. A Porsche 911 Turbo is so precise, you have to let the clutch out just right. Too fast or too slow? No. Very small margin of error there. Now, if you don't know how to drive this car properly, is the problem the car or is the problem the driver? Okay. My old Chevy S10, that clutch is super forgiving. You can let that thing out and just take your foot <laughs> off. Boom. 
and it won't grind gears or anything. It's super forgiving because there is no like like there's no precision in a Chevy. Sorry, like I love it. I ran that car into the ground. It was rusted through. It's not a precise performance vehicle. It's just a workhorse. Okay. Now you drive a Porsche 911 Turbo, and it's like this thing is designed for performance. It's very, very precise. The problem isn't the car. The problem is the driver. Mm. The same thing for 1x20. Okay, is the problem the program? No. 99.9% of the time, and I'm just saying that because I'm sure there's someone out there who has a story where the program actually was a problem for them. But so far in my experience, every time that I've heard someone bash 1x20, I talk to them, and they're like, oh, I didn't know you decreased the reps later on. I didn't, I didn't know that you increased the weight. So what were you going to do? You're just going to do one by 20 forever? Yeah. But that's not what the program is. Well, that's what I thought the program was. Well, then you never looked into it. Like, I don't, I don't know how to respond to people when they say dumb shit like that. It's like the people <laughs> that bash starting strength. I talk to people and they're like, well, this isn't a good program for advanced level lifters. And I'm like, it's called starting strength. Like, it's literally called starting as in beginner. Yeah, but you can't do it as an advanced lifter. No kidding. The book tells you that. The book tells you it's not even a program for intermediate. Like if you read the book, the book tells you this is a beginner program. This is for people who have never lifted weights before, and you're going to start off doing these sets of five. And by the time you become intermediate, you're going to have to change programs. You can't just do linear periodization as an intermediate. The book flat out says that. And yet I'll have people come up to me and be like, that's a terrible program. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, you can't do it as an advanced lifter. I'm like, no kidding. The book said that too. You know, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> Um, but then I realized that other people just didn't read the book. You know, it's like, are you, are you a fan of triphasic? Yeah. I've ran it before. Yeah. Triphasic is an awesome program. Um, I listened to Cal Deep talk about it once and he's like, oh yeah, we only do the, uh, super maximal eccentrics two weeks out of the year. Hmm. That might be a really important thing for people to hear because I can't tell you the number of times that I've had people tell me, oh yeah, you know, I did the super maximal eccentrics and after like the fifth week of doing those, I could barely walk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait. The fifth week of doing those, you mean to tell me you did super maximal eccentrics for five weeks straight? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, did you read the book? They're like, no, I just uh, I saw a, a YouTube video about it. And I'm like, well, then no wonder your knees hurt. You deserve, like, what, what made you think that that was the way the program works? And they're like, oh, like I said, I saw this YouTube video. These guys that were, were talking about triphasic. And you're supposed to put 120% on the bar and squat it. And I was like, that's correct. Um, you don't continue doing that ad nauseum. That's not like a forever program. And there's a big buildup into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a buildup to it. Like you don't start there. You don't just like, oh, on day one, I think we'll just put 120% on the bar and just like try to lower this thing. And it's like, okay. And like, then I run into guys that will tell me like, oh yeah, I did like 20 singles of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're lucky you didn't tear your quad off. Like that's yeah. all I can tell you. Like, you know, and, but I run into this all the time and it just boggles my mind how many people will do programs incorrectly and then blame the program. So it's like you blame in the Porsche. No, the problem is not me as a driver. I'm a good driver. The problem must be the car. And it's like, no, I assure you, the problem's not the car. Lots of people drive that car just fine. The problem is you. This is freaking great. I you, I should show you my uh, my Word document and notes. I just all wrote up yeah. here. Um, I, and, I, I, can, I can tell you so many bizarre things. I have rants on everything at this yeah. point in time. Um, because I've just seen so many dumb things that are, are they don't make sense. And your objective, uh, like you, you, again, I'd like the biggest thing I've taken away from this is like, you're able to eliminate that fairy tale because of your failures and because of the shit yeah. you have seen in other athletes. And I, I just feel like, like, it just continues to make me think it's like, it's like, we're, we're, I talk about it all the time. We're just so, we're, we're just missing things that are so in front of our eyes 
because we read it in a book or we thought we read it in a book and we didn't even read it in a book. Cause right now it's not even like, like you're talking about, it's like, now they're not even reading before. It was like, they said they read it in a book and they would just ignore what's in front of them. Now it's like, we're not even reading the book. We're either reading snippets of the book or TikToks yeah. of the book. And now it's like even worse. It's even more disconnected because you're not even doing, you're not even doing what the, like you're ignoring what's in front of you and you're ignoring the science. So it's like, there's nothing there. One of my favorite things to, to bring up to people is have you actually ever read super training? Everyone says they have. And I'm like, have you actually ever read Super Train? And people are like, oh, yeah, I read it. I'm like, really? Tell me about it. I actually read Super Train. I, I, was, uh, I, I was very lucky, I mean this in a weird, fortunate way, to survive an accident. So I was in a really bad car accident. I got hit by a drunk driver. And I was very fortunate to have survived it. Um, this meant I ended up sitting in a hospital bed for a very, very long time. And I had nothing to do. You can only watch so many movies. You know? <laughs> so I finally got around to it. And I was like, I'm going to read Super Training. And it was like, I might as well be reading a math book. Like, this is not like an easy read. Like, this isn't like reading Dan John's Never Let Go or something. It doesn't mm -hmm. tell you a story. Like, super super training is like reading a reference book. Yep. Like, I'm going to open up an encyclopedia. So, like, I talk to people and everyone's like, yeah, I read it. And I'm like, did you really? Like, it was the most boring, dry thing ever. You might as well just pick up, like, an encyclopedia and start reading it or a dictionary. or Like, it's it's not in any type of like order that makes it flow or something. It doesn't read like a book. Like this is clearly a reference book. Like it's like something you keep on the shelf and you dig it out when you need to look something up. This isn't a book that was written for you to sit down and read it for enjoyment. Um, and yet every coach will tell you, oh yeah, I read Super Train. Did you, did you really? And I don't care what your answer is. Like, just be honest with yourself. Did you actually sit down and read this? Because if you actually sat down and read this, then you know, this thing is like trying to read Moby Dick. Well, that, that um, makes me feel a little less fucking crazy because when I read it, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, bro, this is like a book. Yeah. Like, and I, I forced myself to go like cover to cover. But I was like, this is a book that you have to like almost just like, like you reference book is a great name. It's like you, you want a topic, yeah. you go to a chapter on that topic and you explore what you want from that book. Cause trying to read that thing cover to cover, I was like, bro. And there's so much fucking just, there's so much knowledge there. And there is, like you said, there's yeah. no flow. So it's like, to actually read it cover to cover and take everything that you need to take from it like it's almost like that like you said like the book wasn't almost designed for that it's like okay i want to i want to look at maybe upper body plyometrics and i'm going to go there to the chapter on upper body plyometrics yeah. and i just felt like i felt like i would i, I forced myself to do it go through but i'm like if i'm going to get something more out of it i'm going to go back to chapters for a right. specific reason rather than like try to read it like most books and and it is a great reference book for you to look back at. If you didn't understand the Moby Dick analogy, by the way, have you ever read Moby Dick? No. Okay. So I fuck with people. So unfortunately, <laughs> by letting you know this, anyone that listens to this podcast knows that this is going to be a trick that I play on people. I tell people to read Moby Dick, like the unabridged version. The first half of the book is literally nothing but an instruction guide on whaling. <laughs> it doesn't start with call me Ishmael. That happens halfway through the book. The first half of it is literally an instruction guide on whaling. How exciting. And so I ask people, hey, if you want to train with me, go read Moby Dick. <laughs> and uh, people be like, Moby Dick? And I'm like, yeah, it'll teach you lessons about life. And then when they come back to me, I say, what do you think of the book so far? And they're like, there's two things that happen. One, they tell me, oh, it's really exciting. And I'm like, okay, no, it's not. So clearly you got the abridged version or you haven't been reading it. Uh, or two, they look at me and they're like, why did you ask me to read this? It's, a, it's an instruction guide on whaling. And I'm like, oh, you have been reading it. Don't finish it. It's not worth it. <laughs> um, I just wanted to know whether or not this person was actually committed, you know? And so I'll tell people like, hey, like 
read the unabridged version of Moby Dick. And if they come back and tell me that they hate it, then I'm like, oh, good. You were actually reading it. That, that, that's, that's one of the best intake tests I've heard. Yeah. And it's like super training. Like if you told someone, hey, read super training and someone came back to me like, I'm really enjoying it. It's really good. I'd be like, <laughs> you clearly aren't reading it. But if they come back and tell me, dude, this book is miserable. Like this is like chewing tinfoil. I'm like, oh, you're actually reading it. Then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I love books. Like I'm a crazy person when it comes to, to books. Like you wouldn't believe my bookshelves. But what makes me different from other people, and I, I, I'm not knocking people for this because my wife does this too. So if I was to knock people for this, then I'd be attacking my own wife. Um, a lot of people buy books with the intention of reading them, but never get around to reading them. Like they buy tons and tons and tons of books. Like, oh, I have all of Stu McGill's books. And it's like, have you actually ever read them? Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, I have them. That's a big difference though. I buy books and I actually read them. Um, I am a very boring person, so I don't watch TV. Instead, I sit around <laughs> and read these books that I buy. Um, I, I, I don't know how to explain this to people other than the fact that um, I don't want to say that I'm frugal, but basically I wouldn't buy a book if I wasn't going to actually read it. So like, mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that like, if you tell me, oh, I have a book and I like you as a person, we're friends, I'm not going to go out and buy your book just to support you, sorry, um, unless I'm not going to actually read your book. So mm-hmm. if I intend to read your book, I absolutely will buy your book. And the moment that book shows up at my house, you are going to have a hard time getting me to do anything else. Like, I'm not going to take out the garbage. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this book because it just came in the mail. So I'm like this obsessive person that when, as soon as I get a book in the mail, I sit down and read the whole thing. Um, I got the gift of injury late recently. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's a Brian Carroll, Stu McGill mm-hmm. thing. Dude, the, the day it came in the mail, I was like, I, so I'm nuts. I'm checking my amazon thing all the time like did it get delivered yet did it get delivered yet did it get delivered yet and as soon as it got here i like ran out to the mailbox to tear this thing open i went inside locked myself in my bedroom and sat down and read the whole book cover <laughs> cover because i needed to know this you know i needed to know this information about back injuries and i was like i have to read this as soon as possible um i read these and so like i'm not saying this to, to like i have any kind of superiority over people this, this comes to studies too like if you ever want to talk about neurobiology that's actually what i was going to school to do my phd in um the difference between me and other people that I've started to realize is that I am such a boring person that I actually read this. So like when people tell me stuff about studies, I'm like, did you actually read the study? And people are like, well, I read the abstract. I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you what's actually in the study then. Because these things break down all the time. You'll see your people tell you some crazy stuff. People are like, well, lion's mane can cure Alzheimer's. And I'm like, really? Where did you get that idea from? And they're like, well, I read the abstract and it increased BDNF. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. It increased BDNF in the wrong part of the brain. But, <laughs> you know, like this might be a major factor um, in whether or not it would actually work for Alzheimer's. You know, people will come to me and they tell me something about some study that they read. Uh, what was it? Brad Schoenfeld had a study at one point that showed something like 45 sets to failure per body part per week. And it's like, you might want to read that study. Like a set to failure was doing two reps with 30% of your one rep max. I don't know about you, but I feel like I could do more than just two reps of 30% of my one rep max. So like maybe the subjects in that study weren't, weren't the ideal candidate for you to make this conclusion. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, when you actually read the study itself, you suddenly realize like, that's not like, if I put 30% on the bar and ask one of my athletes, Hey, squat this for as many reps as possible. I'm going to be there five minutes. I was going to say it's going to be a 200, 200 rep set. Yeah, we're going to be doing reps forever. Like, I, I'm like, well, 30% of your one rep max. I don't even know. Like, this is, do we even want to bother doing reps that long? Like, this is just going to turn into cardio at some point. He's going to get pissed off because he's been there for 10 minutes and he's still <laughs> squatting. He's like, coach, I'm not even close to failure. 
like we're having a conversation while he's doing it. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, you know, he's up and down squatting with 30%. And he's like, I think I'm going to go out to Burger King later. And like, you know, if you want to have a two rep max, then you better have like 95% of the ball. If you tell me that you did two reps and that was a set to failure, you better have something around like 93 to 95% on the bar, not 30%. But, and I'm not attacking Brad. I'm attacking the point of the, the, the subjects that you have in a study. And I appreciate that you don't always have control of having great subjects. Like Ronnie Coleman didn't show up at my university and be like, I'd like to volunteer for your study. So I realized that one of the limitations in all studies is who you get to volunteer for this study. Sometimes that means you get shitty people. Like, mm-hmm. And I don't mean shitty people in terms of they're like, they're, oh, they're a bad person, but I mean like they're, they're not athletic. You do a study on BFR and it's like, well, these people can't even properly do an air squat. And now I'm going to ask them to do back squats. I'm not sure this is going to be real transferable to my athlete who's already squatting, you know, 750. Look at the study, look at the subject. That, 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 that's, yeah. that, that was one of my main quotes. I was going back and typing, the, typing up your quotes. That, 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 that was one of my favorite ones. Uh, yeah, you got to look at the subjects all the time because it matters, you know? Like, did I tell you that I coached uh, Bill Harris? Mm-mm. So, uh, I coached Bill Harris briefly, and you know he set a record in the deadlift for the IPA. What study am I going to look at that has a guy who's already doing deadlifts with over six hundred pounds? Like he, he he's quite literally setting the record. Like you can't you can't have a study that is on somebody yeah. that is like he's he's breaking the new ground. What do I do with this guy? Like, yeah, I'm going to look at some study and be like, oh well, let's see here. You know, if you weigh two hundred pounds and you already deadlift six sixty. The way to get to 670 is I, I follow this rep scheme. There's no study on that, you know? And it's like, you start looking at these things and you start realizing like most, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this to knock the people that are doing the research. I do research. And I can tell you right now that my research is all trash. Um, and it's just the limitations of, of research. Like I can do things with mice that you can't do to a human being. And I can tell you right now that that makes a lot of my research useless. Mm-hmm. Like I can't take my research and show it to an oncologist and be like, it'll work the exact same way in your patient. No, it's proof of concept. I think that's a big problem. People don't understand what a proof of concept study is. But coming back to exercise and fitness, like a lot of these studies, it's like we're doing isokinetic knee extensions with college age you know, males who are completely untrained. It's like, I could put you on a stationary bike and your quad would get bigger. <laughs> yeah. like, so. You know, so much of what we do as coaches, though, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, you're literally experimenting on your athlete. Mm-hmm. Like whether or not you want to use that word, and maybe maybe we should use a different word. I'm, I'm not experimenting on you. I'm, um, I'm figuring out how your body works. I'm figuring out how you respond to training, right? But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm basically saying, well, I think this will work. Yeah, you have a and, hypothesis and you're going to yeah. go and test it. Yeah, it's, it's an experiment. Yeah. And we're going to do this program for a little bit. And if you get stronger then I made the right, I made the right call, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I want to point that out too. Like, this is a big thing. Um, any of these studies, you always have outliers too. I mean, it's fantastic. You ever look at some of those high volume studies? Mm-mm. Oh, I love this. This is so people think I have an issue with Mike Israel because I'm not a fan of the whole maximum recoverable volume thing. I don't have an issue with Mike. Mike's a fine person. I don't have anything against him, but I do want to point out to people, this whole idea that volume is the primary driver Volume is the primary driver for some people because every single one of those studies has a couple people who actually lost muscle from doing more volume. Mm. Look at your outliers. Don't just look at the average. Don't look at your mean. How pissed off would you be if I had you come in and you had to train till you were burger every day? Like, you know what? We're going to do 80% back squat and we're going to do 20 sets of five. 
because primary driver is volume, right? So this guy comes in, he's doing 20 sets of five with 80%. And if you look at the, the average for this study and it's like, well, most of the people did gain muscle. But how mad would you be if you were one of the five people who actually lost muscle from doing all that work? Pretty pissed. Okay. Yeah. And this is just a study on muscle gain. Now you're an athlete and this actually matters because you're hoping to move to the next level and your strength coach decides, yeah, we're going to follow this protocol from this study. And now five of the guys on the team are actually getting weaker and slower. Mm. Gee, I wonder how that's going to work for you. Hmm. Do I want to make my football players smaller? Hmm. No, that's not going to go real well for them. So like, you as a coach, you have to pay attention because you have the outlier. And in fact, most of us, like if once you, like you, D1, you were talking about D1 versus D3. All of them are going to be outliers. All of them are outliers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every single one of them. They're all freaky outliers. They are the freakiest of freaky. Like I've seen guys that did things that I just sat there and I was like, how, what is going on here? Like he put like 20 pounds on his lift in a week. <laughs> yeah. And I know the average person is just like, oh, it must be steroids. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This guy moves in ways that you're not even physically capable of moving. Like we were talking about the visual learners. They watch you do something once and they're like, oh, like this? It's like, yes, exactly like that. Well, I'm going to shut up now and I'm not going to tell you anything at all because you're already doing it properly. Some coaches feel the need to say something, especially like in weightlifting. I, you, you, could, you could go on forever about weightlifting. We overcoach weight. It's like pull your scapula this way and you know rotate the elbow this way and externally rotate your shoulder and make sure blah 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 blah. You know you have to make sure that you like some some ridiculous cue about like your hip position at the start position and then you know as you pass the knee you have to you know contract your your lat uh, isometrically and then you know as you reach the third pull you're gonna contract your traps and just just pick up the damn bar. The people who are athletic just do it. And I hate to say this, like this is a mean thing to say, but like it's a perfect quote. And I know, like I, I don't think this is mean. I don't think because I am a donkey. Um, but Hank Krajenhoff made this comment once, you can't turn a donkey into a racehorse. Mm -hmm. And I knew that he was talking about me. Mm -hmm. Same. Because cause I know what I'm capable of doing and I know what my athletes are capable of doing. And I'm like, yes, we might as well be completely different breeds of humans. Because I have guys who are fast, explosive, and they move in ways that I could not mimic if I had to. And believe me, I've been trying for <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, 30 years to move like that. And I watch these guys move, and I'm just like, like you, I don't know how big you are, but like I'm only 5'9". I'm, only I'm 6'1", like 230. All right. Well, at, at a whopping sequoia-like height of 5'9", okay, most of my life I weighed around 155 pounds. I've worked my ass off to put on a, a very pathetic uh, extra 10 pounds here. So now I'm up to 165. Okay. Um, I can run a drill with these guys and I get smoked by a guy who weighs 275. People don't appreciate that until you see it in person. Like you don't appreciate just how fast this individual is moving. Like you watch it on TV and it's like, well, he's not that fast. It's like, he's not that fast because everybody else is moving that fast. <laughs> it's the same speed. It's like the NBA with the height. That was my biggest yeah. thing going to an NBA game. I'm like, oh my God, holy giants. fuck. They are absolute giants. I met Phil Fister once. Okay. Like world's strongest man competitor, Phil Fister. You don't understand how big these people are because you see them on TV and they're next to other big people. I have large hands. Everyone comments how unusually large my hands are. They're like, your hands look like they don't even belong on you because your hands are so big. I went to go shake Phil Fister's hand and I met him and my hand fits in his palm. 
it must have been like shaking a baby's hand to him. Like he's that big. Like my hand fits in his in his palm. My hand just disappeared. And I was like, holy cow, this man is enormous. And like he's not just tall. Like he's also like as wide as you can possibly imagine. Like he is a huge person. So now you get these pro football players, like Brett Kiesel. Oh my God. I remember the first time I met Brett Kiesel. Like I thought Thor was walking through the parking lot. I'm sitting there in, in our performance building and I look out and I see this giant step out of this vehicle. He's got this big beard and everything. You know who Brett Kiesel is? Pittsburgh Steelers? Okay. Plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's huge. He's he is he looks like Thor. Like I thought Thor, like a Viking was getting out of this car and walking into the building. And I'm like, who is that? Like you can't miss him because like even all the way down the parking lot, he's just way too big to be real. You a hockey fan? No. NFL. NFL is my stuff. Sidney Crosby. Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. Okay. First time I ever saw Sidney Crosby get out of his car and he's walking, I looked over and I saw him out of the corner of my eye. And I was like, holy shit, that guy's huge. Like, that guy's jacked. It's Sidney Crosby. Watch him in a game. He looks small. He looks small, yeah. Dude, in person, he is big. He is a big guy. He's not like some little, like, you know, twig of a man. That guy's big. It's just that the other guys are just that much bigger. And if you've ever been on the ice with these guys, dude, I thought I was fast. I really did. I, I, I stupid. Let me tell you, this is, this is funny. You can appreciate this. This is just like self-deprecating humor, if you will, or something like that. Um, one of my neighbors stopped over at my mom's house and was saying, oh, yeah, I played hockey with Chad. Man, I can't believe he didn't go pro. He was so good. He was much better than everyone else. You know, blah, 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 blah. He's telling, you know, telling my mom how great of a hockey player I was. And I think this is so funny because my mom's telling me the story and I just started laughing. I was like, mom. Let me tell you something. When I showed up and I I started playing juniors, every guy there was the fastest and biggest and strongest and best player on his high school team. Every single one of them was like, I was the best player at my high school. Yeah, well, I got bad news for you. Um, This isn't high school anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So like when I met guys like Jim Abbott, Jim Abbott got drafted the Penguins and never even played, okay? Just to put this into perspective, like he got drafted but wasn't good enough to play in the NHL. Jim Abbott played juniors. Jim Abbott was bigger than me. He was faster than me. He was stronger than me. Most frighteningly, he was more agile than I was. Dude could turn like 90 degrees in an instant. He'd be going full speed and just change direction. This doesn't seem human. This guy is like, I don't know, he's got to be 100 pounds heavier than I am. And, and he, he didn't even make the better. mark. Yeah. 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 He, he is better than me in every way, shape, and form including the fact that he moves better than I do. You would think I would move better because I'm small. He could move like you blink and he was gone. That's not good enough to play NHL. (laughs) So when you meet the guys who play NHL, it's like I've been on the ice with those guys. They are moving so fast. People don't appreciate it. So like when you train those guys, right? So like now now we're coming full circle. We talk about the strength conditioning for those guys. What am I going to do with this individual? Well, I'm just going to let him do what he does. I know that sounds really stupid, but like when they come in, they tell me like, oh, well, you know, I've been doing trap bar deadlifts. I'm like, well, then do trap bar deadlifts. Like, I'm not going to sit here and try <laughs> to change you to like a sumo deadlifter. Like, I'm not going to do that to you. I watched James Harrison. James Harrison. I mean, everyone's a James Harrison yep. fan, right? We love watching him work out. I saw him in person doing squats, right? And he is like a machine. He's just like bang, 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 just blowing through these squats. And I'm watching him do it. And what freaked me out I don't even know what was on the bar. It, I mean, it was at least, it had to be at least 495. I, I don't remember what the change weights were on it, but he, he's got the bar loaded and he's just banging through these reps. He was warming up. 
And I was like, holy shit, what, what did I just, this guy is unbelievable. Like he's just, he's just so much, he's so much more powerful. What will you do with that guy? You're going to sit there and tell that guy, hey, you know what? We don't squat. We only do Bulgarian split squats. Why? It worked for him for how many years now? I'm not going to change what works for these guys. You know, if, if, if you have some genetic freak in there and he tells you, oh yeah, um, Troy Polamalu, Troy Polamalu, um, I'm trying to remember what it was that he was into. I know Antonio Brown was into Pilates for a while. He was doing mm-hmm. Pilates. I'm not going to tell him to stop doing Pilates. But Troy Polamalu was doing some kind of body weight thing with a lot of like stability balls and stuff like that. I saw him doing it at the performance center the one day. I'm not, he wasn't my athlete. I wasn't coaching Troy, but he's in the same center where there are other coaches and other athletes. Watching Troy do this crazy workout, which is brutally hard, but I mean, it's a lot of this stability ball type stuff. And it's like, well, you know, he's been playing in the NFL for how many years now? Like, do you want to be the one to come over there and tell him, hey, this thing you're doing doesn't work? You know, don't you know that bossy balls, that that's, that's a waste of your time? It's like, you are not going to say that to me. He's been successful longer than you've been coaching. So, like, this is not the time for you to walk over and say to Troy, like, hey, why don't we start doing a squat bench and deadlift? And then if you want to talk about the real freaks, have you ever worked with pitchers? Yeah, yep. We, we actually have a, a bunch oh. of Triple H pitchers. They're... What in the hell? Oh my God. I will never forget this moment. This is one of the most important teaching moments of my entire life. Kevin Slowey. I'm talking to Kevin Slowey. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. MLB pitcher. Kevin Slowey. I'm, I'm, I'm working with him. I said to Kevin this one time, I was like, man, you know, you train really hard. I was like, I, I got to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like genuinely impressed. Like, you're dialed in because Kevin did. Kevin worked hard. Okay. That's how he made it to the level he made it. He wasn't like a star pitcher or something like that even, right? And I was like, dude, you work so hard. I was like, how come the other pitchers don't come in and lift? And he looked at me. He's like, well, I had to work to get it. And I was like, yeah, but like, look at the other lift. Like, none of the other pitchers are coming in. None of the other pitchers are training. He's like, yeah. He's like, why would they? And I was like, I, because they should. Like, I can't wrap my, like, he's looking at me like I'm asking the dumbest question in the entire world. Like, why don't the other pitchers come in and lift? And he's looking at me and he's like, what? He's got this quizzical look on his face, and I'm like, yeah, like you come in, you train really hard, you follow this really strict diet, you do all this stuff. None of the other pitchers are here. And he's like, Chad, they don't train because they don't need to. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like my mind is like my head must have exploded at that moment. They don't train because they don't need to. And he looked at me like it was just like this. I should have just known this. Like this is just common sense. And he was like, they roll out of bed and throw ninety. Like they've been doing that their entire life. They don't have to work out. And so they don't like they can just show up and throw. And I was like, that can't probably be. But he's right. Those freaky athletes, dude, they don't like everyone wants to make these weird conclusions that like, oh, the secret is this program. You know, you're going to do this, this this special program to strengthen your shoulder. Nope. Nope. No, you aren't. That's not going to make you throw faster. These guys are just they roll out of bed and throw 90 is the best way you can put it. These guys just throw. They don't have to lift weights. They're not doing bench presses. They're not doing pull-ups. They're not doing rows. They're not doing, you know, some type of fancy landmine work. They literally roll out of bed and throw 90. You can wake them up at 3 o'clock in the morning and be like, hey, man, I'm sorry to bother you. Would you mind throwing this ball real quick? Boom, 93. Fresh out of bed, 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever. It doesn't matter. It wouldn't change a thing for them. They would just they would just do it. You know, it's like those freak athletes that, like, they, they, just, have, they just have hops. You know, I had a guy that jumped a 44-inch, and it was like, how'd you get there? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, how, how did you, how did you get your, how did you get your vertical to be so high? And he's like, huh? And I'm like, 
no, no, like your vertical jump is incredible. It's 44 inches. Like, how did you, how did you develop that? Like, what did you do? Like, what program did you follow? He's like, I didn't. You just jumped. And I was like, what do you mean you didn't? He's like, well, you know, I, I played football. I played basketball. You know, I, I, I mean, I guess I did a lot of jumping. And I'm like, but you didn't train it. Like, you didn't like sit down and say like, I'm going to follow this program and build my squat up to a triple body weight squat or some shit. And he was like, no. And I was like, well, what was your jump the first time you ever tested it? He's like, oh, I don't know. I was in high school. I'm like, what was it? He's like, I don't remember what it was. It was like 40 something. I was like, what the? <laughs> You're in high school and it was 40 something? What? Like, my mind just could not grasp that. Like, it was such a hit. You know, and I'm talking about this stuff in past tense. This is like when I first started getting into this stuff that I'm running in. At this point in my life, you know, as I'm approaching 40 here, if I had an athlete tell me, oh, yeah, uh, I never trained your vertical jump. I just jumped 44 naturally. Then I'm like, yeah, I've heard that before. But the first time I ever heard it, mm-hmm. dude, my head was like spinning. I like I remember sitting down and like trying to like rationalize to myself, like, how is this possible? He must be lying. Like, there's no way he just doesn't want to tell me what the secret is. That's what it is. Like, it has to be that he just doesn't want to tell me how he did. And then I just kept seeing it over and over and over again. And very quickly, I started realizing, oh, shit, they really are just better than me. Yeah, freaks are Which freaks. Is a hard pill to swallow, right? You got to accept that, like, oh, man. The genetic freaks are actually genetic freaks, and it isn't that like they're doing something that I could copy and somehow be like that. No, that doesn't exist. Yeah, they're just faster, and it's like, well, so what do we do as coaches? Like, what's your takeaway from this, right? And your takeaway from this is actually really disappointing. It's actually kind of tragic. You start to realize that there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to turn, as Hank said it, Hank Krajenhoff. There's nothing I'm going to do that's going to turn a donkey into a racehorse. But what you can take from me, and this is very important, you now have a racehorse. You damn well better not break its leg. Mm. Yeah, I can't turn a donkey into a racehorse, but I tell you what, I can turn your racehorse into glue. <laughs> because if your racehorse gets injured, your racehorse gets overtrained, your racehorse starts to go backwards in performance, he's not heading to the Kentucky Derby. He's heading to the glue factory real yep. quick. That, that, you know? that. That's that's fucking awesome. That that's that that's that's a good way to end the podcast. This this, this yeah. is fucking awesome. This lived up to the fucking hype. This is this is sweet. I was really expecting that no bullshit approach. So uh, th- and I got I got it. So thanks for being on, coach. This is amazing. Yeah, you know this is this is the lesson that people should take away. Though I mean that's like I just to hammer that point home. You as a coach, you can't turn the genetic average guys into genetic freaks. But should you find a genetic freak, it really is your responsibility to not harm them. I don't mean to sound like it's like medical, like do no harm, like, you know, the whole Hippocratic oath thing, but really, like truly our biggest thing as coaches, stop injuring athletes. Like that should be your number one goal. Like don't do things in the gym that might harm them. That's your responsibility. Boom. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.